Good evening. Good evening. Man, glad you're here tonight. Had uh, a couple texts from Pastor uh, this afternoon, this evening, and he said that things are going great in California. He appreciates the church allowing them to go, and he said it's been very profitable for them. And so, uh, both Brother Prater and and uh, our pastor, Brother Tyler, um, privileged to speak out in Lancaster, and so. Uh, they said they appreciated your prayers, and he said he's ready to be home. So, uh, um, anyway, have that. Now, hopefully everyone is, I, I was trying to think of some things. My watch buzzed twice when I've been up here so far. And so I'm glad that I shut that thing off. Just figured that out. And, and my kids constantly tell me, uh, Dad, you, I tell you this all the time. I tell you this all the time. And, and uh, I remember... We first started getting these uh, phones, and uh, my nephew and my son would call it on purpose during services to see if mine was on. And so I figured out if I didn't want Zach or Joel to call me, I had to keep it up in my office. And so that's, that's what we did, and, and uh, that works most of the time, except for now, um, Pastor Tyler has talked me into getting an iPhone. Uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, worse than that, and I got an, an iWatch, an Apple Watch. So, uh, and it's, it's just really weird because I, I am not used to that. Uh, I have it off, but it still buzzes. I mean, just you know, vibrate my wrist. And it said this twice in the last two weeks. It said, it looks like you've taken a hard fall. What is that? I was practicing one day with the girls in volleyball and we were hitting the ball back and forth. And it says, it looks like you've taken a hard fall. Playing catch with the kids at break at the school. And evidently I caught it hard on my wrists and looks like you've taken a hard fall. Then it wants you to answer it. And so did you take a hard fall? Are you okay? Or it gives you like four choices. I thought, man, that's terrible. What in the world? I don't even have to answer. I just push a button. And uh, uh, I'm just not used to that. And so uh, if I stop abruptly, it's probably because my wrist is buzzing. And I say, Damien, don't buzz my wrist, okay, while well, I'm up here on purpose, okay? So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I trust you. I just don't know. I, this happened too. Sitting down on the couch watching a movie with my wife and it, goes, it plays this lullaby. And I look at it and it says, it's time to go to bed. <laughs> I think one of my kids rigged that so it does that at a certain time and they haven't showed me how to take that off yet. And, uh, and then the weirdest thing, it will tell me also, it's time to breathe. <laughs> Some things are too smart. I don't want people to know everything that I do. I really don't. Um, I already have, you know, seven kids enough. That, 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 in our, in our, that's enough to take care of anything. No secrets anywhere. And uh, if I want to be alone with my wife somewhere, I don't want people knowing on the smart, smartphone or whatever uh, where, where we're at. And, uh, but it's just started to do this too. And now I've gotten to the point where they have rings on here. 
And so you can close rings. So it tells you how many calories you burn. Looks like it already knows that I'm fat. And so, and then it will tell me, hey, there's still time to close this ring. You can take a 10 minute brisk walk and it'll take care of it. It tells me to walk. That's just, that's just wild to me. I'm old, I'm fat, I'm blonde, that's three strikes. I don't think I'm smart enough for these kind of gadgets. I don't know. Uh, I, I really don't know. Uh, I remember taking some walks with my wife. And uh, when we were dating, uh, we used to go on walks. We really did. We, we'd go on walks. We'd go, uh, the parks in town weren't near as nice as they are now. I mean, it was more dirt than it was grass in the parks. And we would walk around the park. I remember uh, we were over at my folks' house and we walked around two or three blocks. I remember that a lot because that was the first time I kissed her. And uh, uh, wasn't real adept at that because, I mean, we were going up and down. We were on the wrong foot. I mean, we kept walking. And, uh, and so I thought, oh, my goodness, this is just, just too much. Is it, that's enough of that? Okay. So... Another time I, I took a, a walk with my wife and uh, we were at a youth camp in, in Binger, Oklahoma. And uh, we were kind of security. Uh, we were patrol. At night we had to make sure that everybody's in their cabins and we'd walk around different places. She would go over by the girls' cabins and we'd uh, meet my brother-in-law also and, and his wife did, uh, did the security stuff. The, there were the sheriffs or whatever you want to call it and Sometimes uh, one of my nephews did that, and, and uh, man, we were securing the tabernacle up on top of the hill, and we were walking down, and uh, we were talking, and, and uh, this was just a, a weird thing. It's just, you know, it's, it's the middle of Oklahoma, uh, out in the country, and there was a polecat just down the hill. And so I said, oh, polecat, uh, for those that don't know, that's a skunk. I think this, this area, if I were to say that in the school, they wouldn't know what polecat was. Um, but uh, it's a skunk. And so we watched it for a little bit, and all of a sudden the skunk started, started scampering toward us. Well, I don't know what came over me, but I, I ran to the nurse's station. And I got in the door, and I realized my wife is outside. Things did not go well that, that time. That was just a bad deal. That was a bad choice. Haven't done that since. Now, um, just the other, <laughs> I thought of that just a couple days ago when my watch said, hey, you can take a brisk 10-minute walk and close this last ring for the day. And uh, so we went out walking on Pine Street. And, uh, uh, well, I was walking actually by myself that night. Went out to the stop sign, came back, and, you know, it was kind of dark. It was really dark, and, and uh, um, I thought, oh, man, I see a skunk. It looks like a skunk on the, and it backed up into some tall weeds, and I thought, this isn't good, because I was going to ask my wife to, you know, go for a walk with me the next day, and I knew if I told her, if, if there was a skunk, there was no way in the world she would go, because we already have a history with that, and, uh, and so it wasn't, it ended up being just a black cat, so I was thankful for that. I was thankful for that. And I and, uh, read a story several years ago about a lady. Uh, and she's walking down the street to work and she saw a parrot on, on, the, on a perch in front of a pet store. 
So as she was walking down, the parrot said to her, Hey, lady, you're really ugly. Well, the lady was furious. I mean, obviously, she didn't like that at all. And, and uh, she stormed past the store to work, and she got there. In fact, she thought about it the whole day she was there. And on her way home, she saw that same parrot on a perch at the pet store, walking by. Hey, lady, you're really ugly. Oh, man, she was really ticked. Next day, walked to work again. Same parrot. <laughs> Same thing. Ah, hey, lady, you're ugly. Lady was so ticked, she went into the pet store, and she said she was going to sue the store and kill the bird if that bird said that one more time to her. And... Uh, the manager apologized. You know, what could he do? I mean, it's a bird. And uh, he said, I, I, I'll try to make sure that doesn't happen anymore. Well, when the lady walked past the, past the store on the way home, um, <laughs> she stopped and just glared at the bird, like daring it to say something. And sure enough, it did. I said, ah! hey, lady. And that was it. She looked at it and looked at it and said, what? You know. <laughs> so so uh, sometimes you just can't win. Sometimes you just can't win. No. Have you ever, how many, how many people still use a map? I mean, not, not like your phone, not like your, not like your wristwatch. I still use a map. How many people don't have a clue how to use a map. We have, we have, we have about 10 honest people in here. Uh, a few more. Today in chapel, Brother Tanner was speaking and that's what he said. He said he, he was on vacation and he had a thing and a map and, and uh, had a detour. But he said, I tried to take that detour, but my, my, my phone wasn't taking it. It wouldn't accept that at all. He said, so I was stuck. I was stuck in traffic for 30 minutes waiting for things to clear because I, he said, I don't have a map. I don't know how to read a map. If I don't have this, I, I can't even get to Walmart. He said, actually, that's not true. It's just, it's just Dylan's. It's a problem. So, <laughs> but he said that. And I got to thinking, you know, there are a lot of people just don't, you don't see them very often anymore. But you know, if we had a compass that showed us the right way whenever we came to a, a crossroad or we, we'd walk through life really stress-free. Wouldn't we? If we had a compass that would guide us everywhere that we needed to go, I mean, if we could predict the 10 years, the next 10 years of our life, man, we wouldn't fear about anything, would we? It would be no problem. We could put all our trust in the future because we already knew what was going to happen. And depending on our, it, it, we wouldn't have to worry about our security, our happiness if we already knew. All of that was already there. I mean, but then why is it so hard for us sometimes to feel secure in our future? We know the one who planned it for us. It shouldn't be, but still we do. We, we have a hard time with that. And, you know, if anything, that probably should give us more security than anything in the world. And we walk through different seasons of our life. It's easy to forget God's walking right there with us. And uh, if we could see him... <laughs> We'd know he never leaves our side, not even once. The Bible tells us that. It gives us indication of that. And if we were 
perfect, which we're not, we'd do the same. We'd stick by his side constantly. We'd stick by his side. And, and uh, you know, the, tonight I want to invite you to go for a walk. I'm going to invite you to go for a walk. Uh, not like the walk that my wife and I have been on. Uh, uh, we've, had, we've actually had some good walks. They haven't all been bad and weird and all that kind of thing. You know, when we go for a walk, uh, the Bible is, among other things, it's, it, it's a list of unforgettable walks. Turn, over, turn your Bible to the book of Genesis. We're going to start there. And, and there are some different things as we look in, in Genesis um, that really kind of stand out for me. I, I always look for some things that, that just are kind of strange. One of the things that I think is strange, and, and we, don't take, we don't consider it, we take it for granted. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible talks about creation. God created. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And God saw and all the things that he created. But the interesting thing about this is, when he talks about the first day, he ends it by saying this. And evening and morning were the first day. After he creates on the second day, then he ends it by saying this. And evening and morning were the second day. And evening and morning and evening and morning. Now that's not how we in this side of the world count our days, is it? You know, if we were to go to the Eastern culture, uh, the Jewish culture, they start their days in, at six in the evening. It goes from six in the evening to six in the evening. Now, we look at ours a little bit different. I think that's kind of interesting. I think that's kind of interesting, but that's not where I want to focus on tonight. Let's turn over to the book of, uh, same, same book, chapter 3, and it tells us this. It says in verse 8, it says, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. No, the Bible is, like I said, among other things, uh, a list of unforgettable walks. And here we find the first walk, uh, um, the first one was taken by God himself. The Bible says, we're told in Scripture, that he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, I don't know how a voice can walk, but that's what it says. It says the voice of God. Now, the Bible tells us in the New Testament that God is a spirit. They that worship him, worship him in spirit and truth, but evidently they heard him. Walking in the cool of the day. And I'll tell you this, it's a good time to walk. If here in liberal Kansas, in the cool of the day, and sometimes in the summer you might have to wait till one o'clock in the morning uh, for that to happen. But the best times to walk is in the morning. And, and that's the bad part about this, this watch. I'm obeying it now quite a bit more than I thought I ever would. But in the morning and the evening. And so the first one was taken by God himself. And we're told there in Scripture. Now, uh, most of the time we find other ones. It's not that um, God is doing the walking, but he's inviting us to walk different places. People that he has walking. And he wants them to walk fairly close to him. Now, the first one, like I said, God took a walk himself. The second one, we can look at another one. Uh, there's also a hard walk in the Bible. A hard walk. Uh, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 22, in the first 14 verses of that chapter, that Abraham took a hard walk with his son, Isaac. Isaac was the son of promise. Now, that's a hard walk because he had waited so long. He tried to get ahead of God uh, with God's plans. It, that didn't work out so good. It's still not working out so good. We're reaping that to this day in the Middle East. 
But could you imagine waiting so long? Here's a hundred year old guy. And God asked him to sacrifice his son of promise. Isaac. I imagine that'd be a hard walk to go from there to Mount Moriah. You, you suppose he told his wife about it? I don't know. But I'm going to tell you, it was a hard walk. There's not just a, the walk in the garden. There's not just this hard walk. But uh, how about a liberating walk? There's another example of a walk in the Bible, a liberating walk. Moses uh, and the Israelites, they took this path through what used to be the Red Sea. And they walked through on dry land. The Bible says, but the children of Israel, in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 29, walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And a verse or two later, it tells us that as they made it across, <laughs> Moses stretched out his rod again and the waters came back together and the ones that were chasing him were, were no more. So we have a hard walk, we have a liberating walk and, and uh, we're going to stay with Moses. I, I imagine he had a pretty frustrating walk when he led the children of Israel for 40 years in the desert. Could you imagine how frustrating that would be? He knew that the promised land was there. He knew that that was coming, but, but yet there was a frustrating walk. I mean, they took him on a roundabout way through the desert for 40 years. Not only a frustrating walk, but there's a such thing in the Bible as a triumphant walk. We find in the book of Joshua, in chapter 6, and it tells us about Joshua and the children of Israel walking around Jericho. Pretty weird strategy. They walked around once a day for six days. On the seventh day, they walked around seven times. Blew the trumpets, shouted, and the walls fell down flat. And they went straight over. So I said that'd be a triumphant walk that we find in, in the Bible. And, and not just a triumphant walk, but there's also an illuminating walk. In Luke chapter 24 in the New Testament, this was just after Jesus had been crucified uh, a few days. And it's on the road to Emmaus. The road to Emmaus, there was Cleopas and another man who's unnamed. And they were walking, talking about things. And the Bible says that Jesus came near unto them. And then he asked them what they were talking about. What was going on? They were surprised at all the things that he said that, that, that he, he wasn't aware of. Well, they asked some questions and he explained it a little more in detail to him. And they talked him into staying for dinner. And usually if you go to a person's house, you know, this is something that's a little bit different. This is something that Jesus did. He's the one that asked the blessing on the food. Now, usually if you go to someone's house, usually if they have a practice of asking a blessing on the food, they will ask it. But Jesus said when he had given thanks, he was breaking bread and their eyes were open. They realized who he was. It was an illuminating walk. And then he disappeared from their sight. He was gone. Not only the walk in the garden, a hard walk, a liberating walk, a frustrating walk, or a triumphant walk, illuminating walk, but what about the interrupted walk of Paul? Paul had gotten permission to gather up and, and, and kill Christians. He'd gotten permission for that. We find that in Acts chapter 9. 
Verses 3 and 4 says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Well, this interrupted everything that he was doing. In fact, it blinded him for a short time. It was an interrupted walk. There's also a very sorrowful walk. We find in Mark chapter 15 and, and verse 16, it says this, And the soldiers led him away into a hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band. And then from there, he started to carry his cross to Golgotha. This is a sorrowful walk of Jesus from Praetorium to Golgotha. In fact, it was so sad and holy, it actually received its own name. It was the way of great sorrow. You hear our pastor say it quite often, the Via Dolorosa. The way of suffering. But there's also another walk, and this is what we're going to look at tonight. If you turn your Bible to the book of Matthew, chapter number 14, we're going to spend a little bit of time there. And uh, I don't think we'll be very long tonight. In Matthew, chapter 14, it's the unforgettable walk. The unforgettable walk. And I'm going to tell you, this is the day that Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. In Matthew chapter number 14, start reading in verse 22, and the Bible says this, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship, and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. And they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now, Peter, obviously, it's unforgettable, not so much because of where he was, as far as his walking, but what he was walking on. And who he was walking with. You know, I think when Peter was treading on the waves, he was experiencing probably walking at its finest. Could you imagine walking on water? I remember when I was younger, we had a pool in our backyard, a diving board, and we'd try to run and see how long we could stay above the water before we sunk all the way in. It was kind of fun because we could splash a lot of people when we did that too. But it was, just, it was just kind of a cool thing to do. But you, you can't do it for very long. You run in the motion. You know, it'll, it'll keep you up just for a second or so. And then you, you sink. But this was amazing. I mean, Peter's, Peter's, Peter's walk here was an invitation to step out in faith. That's really what it was. Walking on water is a picture of something he could never do by himself. That's something that we could never do on our own. You know, sometimes people would say this. Say, How many of you have ever heard this saying? Uh, the safest place to be is in God's will. The safest place to be. 
So do you suppose Peter was in a safe place here? Now just think about this for a minute with me. I've been taught that all my life. The safest place to be is in God's will. Now, it really depends on what your definition of safe is. Do you suppose De the deacon Stephen was in God's will? Do you suppose the apostles were in God's will when they were stoned to death and beheaded, crucified upside down? I'm going to tell you, I don't say that anymore. Now, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he did tell us this. Wherever he leads us, he'll go with us. And I'm going to tell you this, the best place to be is in God's will. And the way that we can be blessed, what God wants us to be, is in God's will. Now, if we were to say the safest place to be is in God's will, um, I just have to scratch my head just a bit about that. Peter here was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. I mean, he experienced more, uh, more of the power and presence of God than he'd ever felt before. I can't imagine walking on water like this. And, and it's amazing. But I believe God wants us to have the same faith that Peter had. He really does. How does such a thing come about? How do we have a faith like Peter did, so much faith that he got out of the boat and walked on the water? I don't know. The Bible tells us and, and we find a pattern in the scriptures of things that happen uh, for this. I mean, what happens in a life that God wants us? I mean, God wants to use us. If he didn't want to use us after a person got saved, he'd take us to heaven. He's not done with us. He wants us to do something for him. He wants us to be used of him. He wants us to yield ourselves a vessel for him to be to, to use. I mean, that's why we have these steps up on the wall. I mean, we are trying to help people find and follow Jesus. That's what we should be doing. That's exactly what Peter was doing. Jesus told him what? I will make you fishers of men. So God wasn't done with him. But here's the pattern. You'll find this anytime that God wants to improve someone's life, which is all the time. Anytime God wants to use a person for his honor and for his glory, which is all the time, there's always going to be a call. The first thing is, there's always going to be a call. In fact, God asks an ordinary person to engage in an act of extraordinary trust. Uh, here, that, in this case, it was Peter getting out of the boat. Peter said, Lord, if, it, if, it's, if it's you, bid me come onto the water. And what did Jesus say? Come. He had a call to get out of the boat. And that's exactly what he did. So the first thing that God does, he wants, he, he will, there will always be a call. For a person to follow closer to, to God, to, for a person to follow closer to what he wants us to be, the pattern is this. He's, there's always going to be a call. There's always going to be a call. The second thing is, there's always going to be fear. Now think about it. There was already fear in this story. We find earlier it said that they were, that the disciples were they saw him walking on the sea and they were troubled saying it's a spirit and they cried out in fear. Not only did they cry out in fear after Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, then there was some more fear. There was some more fear. And it says, when Peter was come down out of the ship, verse 29, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. 
Verse 30, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. He was afraid. I'm going to tell you, when God gives us, he's always going to give a call. And there's always going to be fear. I, I'm going to, sometimes we find in Scripture that God has a way of asking people to do things that scare them. Ever notice that? God has a way of asking people to do things that scare them. I mean, it may be a fear of different things. It might be a fear of inadequacy. We can look in, in the Old Testament about Moses. Moses, God got his attention from a burning bush. It didn't burn up. It, didn't, it wasn't consumed, the Bible says. In fact, in, in Exodus chapter 4, um, God told him to what he was going to have him do. He was going to have him go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Hey, Moses was happy about it, wasn't he? No, he probably stuttered even more than he already did. Uh, I can't do that. I can't do that. In fact, it says this in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. He began to make excuse because he was afraid. He was afraid. That's not what he wanted to do. He left in fear because he had killed an Egyptian and he knew that there was probably still a price on his head. It might be a fear of inadequacy. Moses had that. It might be a fear of failure. You know, some people don't do things because they're, they have a fear of failing. That's true. That's true. We find in the book of Numbers in chapter 13 that there were some spies that were sent out to spy out the promised land. And uh, we can sing a song. Ten were bad and two are good. Right, we had the spies that went into the land and they looked at the land. The land was great, just like God said it was. But when they came back, they were fearful of failure because this is what they said in Numbers 13, 33. It says, we were in our side as grasshoppers and so we were in their sight. There was a call to go in there. God had already promised them the promised land, but because of fear of failure, they thought they were too inadequate. What they didn't realize is that God was going to be with them. He'd already promised that land to them. Might be fear of failure. If God's calling us to do something, it might be that He calls us to do something we're afraid of. It might be any number of things. Could be we fear inadequacy. Could be we fear failure. We could be even just a fear of God himself or of man. You know, in the book of Matthew, Jesus told a parable. He gave a parable about talents. He gave three servants different amounts of talents. God is not, God is not a communist or a socialist. He didn't bless everyone with the same gift. All right? I don't want to get political on that. But he gave one five talents. He gave one three and he gave one one. Now, one of them had a complex. Oh, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. Oh, you can say whatever you want to say. But God blesses you with gifts and he expects you to use those gifts to the best of your ability. And the way that you, if you don't use it, you lose it. I heard that phrase all my life. I heard that from my dad. And I used to hate hearing that. You got this and you got this. And well, why do I have to do that? The neighbors don't. Ah, to whom much is given shall much be required. If you don't use it, you lose it. I mean, I hear that. And I think, you know what I say to my kids? Said to my kids now? Same thing. I've become a dad. What a bummer. I never thought that'd be a, a thing I'd ever want to do. But 
But here we find in Matthew 25, 24 and 25, the one that had one talent, what did he do? He was fearful. He was fearful, maybe lazy too, but he was fearful. It says this, Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid. You know, there are other things that we could be afraid of, but I'm going to tell you, when God calls us to do something, when God wants to walk with us, and when he wants to improve our situation, when he wants to bless us more, there's going to be some things that happen. Number one, there's going to always be a call. Number two, there's always going to be some fear. There's always going to be some fear. One way or another, there's going to be some fear. And uh, then the next thing is, there's always going to be some reassuring. God just doesn't leave us out there hanging to dry. There's always going to be some reassuring. God promises his presence. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. Uh, he tells us that several times. We can find in, 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 in the book of Judges, there's a story about a young man who was working at the threshing floor. His name was Gideon. Now the Philistines were coming and they were taking all the crops from everybody and uh, they had all put in all the work and then they didn't get to reap any of the benefits from it because they kept stealing stuff. Well, he did a few things. He cut down the groves. He, he, he did some stuff at night, kind of hiding there. And, and uh, God asked him to do something. And Gideon was afraid. But God reassured him that he would be with him. In fact, in Judges 6, 12, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now Gideon was a chicken up to this point, as far as anything we can tell. He did things in secret. He was hiding out. He'd never been called a man of valor before. But God reassured him. And God reassured him with, uh, if you know the story of the fleece, uh, one time it, he said there'd be asked that there'd be dew on the fleece and not on the ground around it. And the other time that there'd be not dew on the fleece and dew on the ground around it. God reassured him that he would be with him. And sure enough, it made a big difference after God reassured him. God also supplies our needed gifts. We talked about Moses a little bit earlier in Exodus chapter 4. And this is God's answer to Moses when he said, hey, he said, you, I, I, I can't talk. I, I'm slow of speech. And I imagine this, just think about this. God said this, and the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I'll be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. God also is with Joshua after Moses had died. Joshua was leading the children of Israel. And he tells them in Joshua 1, 9, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and have a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. He reassured them. He reassured them. And I'm going to tell you in the story here, Peter was sinking and he just simply said, Lord, save me. And God reached down his hand, saved him. He had reassurance real quick. That might be one of the shortest prayers we ever have recorded in the scripture. Lord, save me. We don't have to pray, Oh, our God, our Heavenly Father, thank you so much. No, we don't have to pray, pray a King James prayer. We have to pray what's on our heart. All right? And that's what Peter did. 
He had a call. He had some fear. And here he had to be reassured. Those are steps that every person is going to have. Every person is going to have. If God wants you to do something. He wants to bless you with something. He wants you to improve in something. There's going to be a call. There's going to be some fear. There's going to be some reassuring. And then it comes to this. There's always going to be a decision. A decision. Sometimes, as with Moses and Gideon, uh, people will say yes to God's call. Sometimes, as with the spies, people will say no to God's call. I'm going to tell you, um, the rich young ruler in the New Testament went away sorrowful. Evidently said no to what God's call was. And but here's the thing. You have to decide. Just like God does not force himself on anybody as far as salvation is concerned. I'm going to tell you, he's called everybody to be saved. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish. It's his will that all should come to repentance. That's clear. That's scripture. Not only that, when that happens, he brings conviction. There's going to be fear. But he also brings assurance. And he will reassure you. But ultimately, you have to make the decision. You have to decide. I got to be honest. That's one of the best things I think that God ever gave to us is the ability to decide. To make a decision. He didn't make us robots. We walk around and do exactly what whoever's. Now, he wants us to serve him. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to walk with him willingly. But he's not going to force us to do that. He's not going to force us to do that. Another thing about that, well, I, I, I read a story several years ago, and, and I thought it was a great story. It's about one of our former presidents, Ronald Reagan, when he was young. His, he, he grew up in a drunkard's home, and there was often that his uh, dad had, had wasted all of his paycheck on liquor. So sometimes he, he didn't, wasn't always dressed the best. Growing up in, in Illinois, and he had an aunt that, that felt sorry for him and wanted to get him a pair of shoes. And so uh, she told him, she said, Ronnie, you need to go to the cobbler and, and uh, he'll get your size and get you taken care of. So um, she actually went with him to the cobbler and uh, measured his feet. And the cobbler just simply said this, do you want square-toed shoes or do you want round-toed shoes? He didn't know what to say. He couldn't make up his mind. So the cobbler said, okay, come back and let me know. Uh, I've got all the other things that I need and you just let me know. Well, the next week or so, he saw him again and he said, have you made your decision? He said, no. He said, I I still, I'm having a hard time uh, making a decision. I can't decide if I want square toe shoes or round toed shoes. And the cobbler said, okay, just just come by the end of the week and we'll we'll have stuff ready for you. We'll get it taken care of. So sure enough, end of the week, he went to the cobbler's to get his shoes. And he said, oh, he said, yeah, I've been waiting for you. He went back and pulled out the shoes. And there was one square-toed shoe (laughs) and one round-toed shoe. And he said, I learned right then and there, if I had a decision to make, I needed to make it and not let someone else make it for me because I might not like the decision that they made. God gives us the opportunity to make a decision and we need to make it. And here's the other thing he said. 
I couldn't blame it on anybody. When God gives us the decision, we can't blame it on someone else. If he calls us, and even though we're afraid, he'll reassure us, but we are responsible for our decision. We are responsible for our decision. We can't blame anybody else. There'll always be a call for those that God wants to help. There'll always be fear regarding that. There'll always be some reassuring. There'll always be a decision. And there'll always be a changed life. Always be a changed life. Those that say yes to God's call, they, they won't walk perfectly. Not at all. Far from it. Uh, but because they say yes to the call, they'll learn and grow from even more failures. God will bless them and they'll continue to grow as they walk with him. And the cool thing is they'll be able to be, become part of his actions to redeem the world. They'll be able to help people find and follow Jesus. The reason that he left us here in the first place uh, to give him honor and glory. That, that brings him glory. When that happens. Uh, but those who say no are changed too. You realize those who say no, they become a little bit harder. They become a little more resistant to his calling. And in fact, it gets a little bit easier every time they say no to say no the next time. To say no the next time. To say no the next time. And it could be in any area. I mean, that pattern continues today. Here the first semester of the school year. We've had a couple of the students and, and uh, uh, actually we've had two of the students in grades three through six speak in chapel. Now, both of them, when I asked them at first, they were a little bit hesitant. They were a little bit fearful. They did a good job. The second one spoke in chapel today. We have some high school girls and junior high girls that have spoken for the little learners. You know, it's the same thing. They're nervous. But you know, now the next time that they're asked, they will learn from any mistakes that they made through that and they'll be stronger and able to do a little bit better the next time. Do a little bit better the next time. You know, that's what God wants us to do. He, we know what answer he wants, but it's still up to us to decide. And it is going to be a changed life. I mean, it, I'll tell you, whatever the decision it's always a changed life. And the changed life is going to change the world a little bit anywhere that they touch it. The pattern is still the same. I mean, I'm confident there's some aspect of your life that God is calling you to right now. I mean, think about it. To walk with him a little bit closer. Uh, maybe it's uh, we say yes. Maybe he's going to set in motion something that we're fearful of. I don't know. It might be uh, beyond what we could ever do by ourselves. That's how he works. That's how he works. Maybe it has to do with our work. Uh, maybe it has to do with uh, relational risk. Maybe it has to do with asking somebody to come to hear the gospel. Uh, maybe it has to do with uh, our resources that we could give. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. God wants to improve each and every one of your walk with him. I do know that. I do know that God is calling you to something. I do know this, that when he calls you, that probably is going to cause some fear. But I also know this, God is going to reassure you. He is going to give you what you need. Moses, he gave him 
the words to speak. He allowed him to have that. He, Joshua, he assured him that he was with him. He wasn't going to leave him. He wasn't going to forsake him. But here's the thing. The decision is up to you. The decision is up to you. Possibly. I, I don't know. Uh, it may involve facing a deep fear. It could. Possibly it'll go to the core of who you are and what you do. I just have one more question for you. Do you want to go for a walk? You're going to have to get out of the boat. You're going to have to get out of the boat. So I'll stand.